Welcome to the Vine. I've asked Naomi to come and to read our text for this morning. I know why this service is so packed today, because y'all wanted to sleep in. <laughs> no shame in that. Uh, Naomi's going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, 7 through 11. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it, open it to 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Just a second. Let's turn it on. Let's try it again. There you go. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it orients us, that it um, is a lamp and a light for our feet and our path. Father, thank, thank you so much that you give it to us. Um, we want to cherish it. We want to cling to it. We want to um, have our lives adjusted to it. But we can't do that, Lord, apart from your spirit. So I need your help. We need your help. And so we ask now, Lord, would you come by your spirit and help us to see and rejoice in who you are as you've revealed yourself and your will in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new here, we've been working our way through 1 Peter, and we're over halfway through now here in chapter 4, and today we're starting in verse 7. And just to set a little context, Peter is writing to churches scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey. And if you flip back to, to... the first couple verses of chapter 1, you'll see these are churches in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. And these are churches on the margins. These people were not the cool kids in culture. These people were marginalized. They are experiencing some forms of persecution. And Peter is writing to them and helping them understand what does it mean to suffer as a Christian? What does it mean to be a group of people that are marginalized on the, on the outskirts of culture? And how are they going to thrive? How are they going to be who God has called them to be as his church with the gospel at the center, staying united as a family of believers and being on mission to the onlooking culture around them? I'll tell you one summary of the book of 1 Peter. And so today, we get to verse 7 of chapter 4. And we're, we're going to work through all that Naomi read. And here's just the big point for today. All right? The time is short, so love well in the church and serve well in the church. The time is short, so love well in the church and serve well in the church. All right? Let's look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, he writes. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your 
prayers. So since our days are numbered, that implies some things about how we're going to live, right? It's kind of like this. I think about this often in parenting. I think this is a good way to think about what Peter's writing at here. So in parenting, we realize if you've got a, had a kid for more than about five minutes, you know that they grow and they change rather quickly. It seems like just yesterday I was changing diapers, and now we got a kid that's almost ready to start driving, right? It goes like that. And so we know this is the reality. Time is short. They're not going to be with us forever, right? We only get one go around with these kids, and since that's the case, that should have some implications for how we live as a family, right? So one of the things that we're excited about is making our family a priority. So we may not be shuttling our kids around, four of them, to like thousands of different activities at the expense of family time. Now some, activity, some activities are good, right? But if it's all-consuming and we don't have margin for anything else like church and family and meals and stuff together, we're out of bounds. Okay, so in light of this short window, our family's going to look like something. We're going to prioritize our time together. We're going to prioritize repentance and forgiveness. We don't have time to, to waste in just getting entrenched in, in relationships that can't be reconciled. We want to make healthy relationships in our family a priority because time is short. We, we, we're going to speak words of life to each other as a family. We don't have time to just harbor bitterness. No, we want to do the opposite. We want to speak encouragement to each other. Why? Because our time is short. See, if we don't have these priorities, it's going to hinder our relationships with one another. So since time is running out with these kids, make certain things a priority. Certain behaviors should be normative. And we want to carry ourselves as a family since it's not going to last forever. And look at verse 7. Peter's saying something similar. The end of all things is at hand. So you're going to look a certain way. Because the time is short, that implies how you're going to live. That implies some things for how you're going to live. You're going to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Okay, so let's go back. The end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has come the first time. And since we're in the stage of human existence, post-resurrection of Jesus now, coming the first time, we know that the next time he comes, like he said, like he promised, is going to be the end of world history as we know it. This is just simply the storyline of Scripture. It's heading in a direction, okay? And the end of all things, Peter writes, meaning when Jesus returns— and, and he could return at any time. We're in the final stage of history. Not that necessarily we know the dates on the calendar. We've, the Bible clearly says that we don't know the dates on the calendar. But we do know that we live in a time that's much closer to the end than millions and millions of people that have come before us. Before the resurrection of Jesus. So oftentimes the Bible talks about the, the age and the ages, meaning the time in which you live. And we know that post-resurrection has signaled the final age, meaning there's only going to be one more huge event, and that's his second coming. And in that sense, the end of all things is near. So if that's the case, and it is, then how does that affect how we live? 
right? He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Well, what does that mean? I think sometimes to, to illustrate what something means, it's helpful to think, we can get clarity when we think of the opposite. So the opposite of this verse would be, since Jesus is never going to return, just indulge in all your knee-jerk impulses. Whatever comes to mind, just do it, right? And, and be as cloudy in your thinking as possible. Does, does that sound right? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to do the opposite of that. Make sense? It was kind of like how I tried to approach my relationship with my father when it was clear that he was kind of in the end stages of his battle with cancer. So he had four years, and then he died after five. And that last year, his fifth year, um, I just kind of had that sense, like, I think we're kind of rounding third here, you know, in terms of what he's got left. And so I needed to prioritize time with him. And I wanted to do what this verse says. I wanted to be self-controlled and sober-minded. I wanted to not just get into maybe some of the, the conflict that we had in most of my adult life. And a lot of that was because I wasn't as self-controlled as I should have been. And I wanted to be really sober-minded. I want to think clearly about what I'm dealing with here. Okay, my, my dad's got short time left And so what needs to be the priority? I want to be sober about that thing, thinking clearly about that. Um, I wasn't making visits that became more regular. I made a priority to see him. Once a month, I'd drive back home about three hours. And I wasn't there just to screw around. I was there to invest. I was there to to, to be involved in his life and to hear his heart. And and maybe I'm not going to let things bother me that used to bother me. I wasn't going to get upset about silly things that he might say from time to time. I had to be sober-minded and self-controlled because he wasn't going to be around forever. And that's what Peter is saying here. Look at it again, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Time is short. In the scope of all human history, time is short. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. See, if we're just ruled by impulsiveness and everything's like a big joke to us and you don't take anything seriously, that probably doesn't mean we understand, that probably means that we don't understand the time and place that we live. And that's what Peter's saying. Know the time and place in which you live. Live with the end in mind. And if that's the case, that's going to affect how you carry yourself. So what's the deal with the the end of this verse? Look at the end of the verse where it says, you you need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Why does he say that? Well, if you know the time in which you live, that Jesus' return is real, and this life is not just some big joke, we're not just a big cosmic accident, then the fact that Jesus rules and reigns and will one day return to make all things right, this reality will sober us up and cause us to live a life that's not all about us, but a life that has a radical Godward orientation. And when I thus have a Godward orientation, a radical Godward orientation, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm just going to forsake praying? No. It means, man, I, I can't get enough of the Lord. I'm going to always be remembering him. I'm always going to be remembering like how needy I am and how limited I am and how, how, how without his help, I'm sunk. And so what does that imply? That implies I'm going to be a praying person. 
Prayer is just a reflection of this fact of knowing that life is not all about me. It's all about him. And I'm a part of his plan that's working itself out through history that will one day be finished. And so when I know that, and that's kind of the, 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 the sun in my universe which I orbit around, that's going to create me into a praying kind of person. If I neglect all those things, then why would I need to pray? Does that make sense? So he's saying, if, if, if you're not keep in mind that, that Jesus is going to return one day and make all things right, why would you need to pray? Because you're probably not paying attention to him that much at all. But if you're dialed in, you're going to be praying. If you're dialed in, you're going to be praying. And that's what Peter's saying. Let's dial into these things. These are true things. That's why I'm writing them. So, Vine Church, where are we at today with these things? When you read verse 7, does that land on you today? I'm praying by God's Spirit it does in a fresh way. Do you believe that Jesus will return and make all things right and that he's Lord of all? And if so, if the answer is yes, then let's live like it and let's pray like it. That's what Peter's saying. Let's live like it and let's pray like it. And if you're here and you're maybe not even a believer this morning, that's okay, and we love you and glad that you're here, and you just want to know, like, man, I'm, I'm in process with this. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you. So here's the point for today. The time is short. The time is short, so love well in the church and serve well in the church. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now think again of the parenting example and the example of my father kind of being in the last stages of his life. If you place yourself in those scenarios and can imagine that, window short in parenting, window short, dying father, shouldn't that imply that, the, that love would be primary, right? Shouldn't that imply that love would be the main thing I want to emphasize in our relationship? I mean, if, if I think back to the window, um, if I reflect on parenting and I reflect on in the future, reflecting back on parenting, you with me? I want to be able to say, or I wanna, I'd love to have my kids say, you know what I remember about us as a family? I remember that it, we were loving. I remember that we loved each other really well. Like that would be beautiful. That would make my heart sing, right? That's what we're shooting for. One of the things we're shooting for. That'd be one way to say it. And like when my dad's, you know, nearing the end, especially, you know, toward the end when he's really struggling, it's like, do I just approach that with eh, whatever and just kind of be apathetic? No. Like, man, love, love's got to reign here. I want that to be the last memories we have. That love is going to reign here. So we don't have time, church. We don't have time to mess around with petty arguments and gossip and silly insecurities that we all hold because we're kind of consumed with ourselves and what people think of us and, and we're super sensitive and can be defensive, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. Man, what Peter's saying is the time is short, so above all, I mean, strip it all away. This is what it boils down to. Love earnestly. It's not just kind of half-hearted love. It's not just kind of 
you know, just middle of the road kind of love. This is earnest love. He's not just saying, he's not just wasting words here. He drops these words intentionally. It should be earnest love. Earnest love. And the way that this love will be so powerful and countercultural and uniquely and strangely beautiful is what it says here, when it covers a multitude of sins. See that? Verse 8. That's just another way of saying forgiveness. It's another way of saying forgiveness. When love doesn't reign, what usually happens? Fractured relationships reign. Disorder, fighting is usually the norm. And, and, and tragically, this is oftentimes true in many churches. But love for others in light of the love that's been shown by God empowers us to forgive and see relationships reconciled and healed. And this should be what is always true in our churches. And that's why Peter stresses this so much. He says, above all, above all, above all, let it be love that reigns among you. Because this is what can restore what sin has broken. See, sin wants to infect and destroy our churches. But what happens? Love conquers sin. Love covers sin. Now, is this costly? Absolutely, it's costly. It never says it's going to be easy. I don't see that in the text, do you? But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And think about this. This is just the essence of the gospel, is it not? Is this just not another way of reminding ourselves of the gospel? Has not God covered our sin when we come to him in repentance and faith? And say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I know I've come to the end of myself. I need you. I can't manage my sin. I've tried all the strategies. It's not working. And when you come to Jesus and say simply, I need you, what does he say? He says, I'm willing to cover your sin. I'm that merciful. I'm not going to count it against you. I'm not going to make you pay for it in purgatory. I will cover it by my blood that demonstrates that I love you. And so if that's true of us, and you're a Christian here today, and you know that's true, maybe you're not a Christian, and what I just said sounds kind of appealing. Well, you may be on your way to become a Christian. We'd love to talk to you. But if you are a Christian today, and you know that's true, I just summarized the gospel, should it not imply that we're going to embrace verse 8 for how we live horizontally? how we live horizontally. Because if God has treated us like this, how could I not treat my brothers and sisters that way in the church when maybe they need to be forgiven? Or maybe when you need to be forgiven, when you need to have love cover your sin? So where does this need to come alive in our lives? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Who do you need to talk to today? Maybe it's a, an, a family member or an in-law or a child. Who do you need to talk to today? 
Maybe it's a simple note. Remember that time? Send a text, an email. Maybe, maybe you're remembering that time when you offended somebody and they graciously covered your sin. And you write to them and you say, Man, when that happened, that impacted me. It reminded me of my relationship with God. Thank you. I love you. Maybe it's just a simple note. Maybe it's a, it's a situation that's not quite yet resolved. And you want to see love covering a multitude of sins that maybe you've had to bear or maybe you've committed, but you've got to go a couple more rounds on reconciliation. Maybe that's what you're called to today. Maybe simply in your city group. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Notice that it doesn't say, wait around for others to love you before you dive in to love others. Now, this is an active kind of love that Peter's calling the church to. Our city groups get really beautiful when we take very seriously verse 8. And you walk into that room, and it's a room of diversity, and these aren't people necessarily that you picked to be best friends with, but they've been picked for you. And it's kind of like your family where you didn't pick your mom and dad. You didn't pick your kids. They've just been assigned to you. And so what are you going to do now? Well, the Bible says we're going to love one another. We're going to love one another because that's how God has treated us. And so, man, maybe we just need to go for this in our city groups and see them to be beautiful, as messy as they can be, and it's not as perfect as it can be. But, man, that's not my orientation. My orientation is verse 8. My orientation is, I'm called to love, so who here can I love? Well, these people are sitting here, so I'll just start with them. Right? What is it for you today? Where is it for you today? Again, time is running out, Peter's saying, right? Verse 7. So we don't have time to screw around with sins of bitterness and resentment towards other people. Like God wants you to be free, and, and there's no freedom in, 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 in self and in selfishness that doesn't want to love. It just wants to be like, no, I'm going to wait around for you all to hook me up, and then maybe I'll reciprocate. There's no freedom in holding grudges. There's no, there's no freedom in bitterness. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And hospitality is just kind of a subset here. We're not going to spend a ton of time on verse 9. But hospitality is just a subset of love. If you love people, and in an ancient culture in the Middle East, hospitality is the number one indicator that you love someone, that you're with them. That's why Jesus got so, in so much trouble, because he hung out with sinful people. He hung out with the people that were like notorious sinners. And he was hospitable with them. And the religious people hated him for it. It's the number one sign of love and acceptance. And so if we're going to be a church that's truly loving, a subset of that, even in our culture too, is going to be hospitality. The time is short. So love well in the church and serve well in the church. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So here's our serving part. Talked about loving, talk about serving now. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be, belong glory 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's look at this text together. Let's just break it down, walk through it. Look at what it says, as each. So right out of the gate, the number one assumption is there's an eachness, if you'll endure the term here. It's not a, uh, just a couple people. It's not just like the kids that are like talented and gifted or whatever. It's not just half the people. No, it's each one of you. He's writing to churches, remember. This is a corporate each, okay? So it's like every single one of you. What? What about you? You've received a gift. You have a gift, right? You've got gifts that you're called to use, okay? And so why is that? Why do each of us have gifts to use? What does it say? Does it say the reason you have your gift is so that you can be selfish with it and be all about yourself? It's not what it says. Does it say that the reason why God has given you a gift is so that you can be really jealous of other people's gifts that you really like and wish that you had? It's not what it says, does it? Does it say that the reason why God gave you his gifts so you can get a huge head and look down on everyone else who's not as awesome as you? It's not what it says, is it? What it says is, look at it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve. Say it with me. Serve. Yeah. So your gifts are not an end in themselves. The end is service. See that? You're called to serve. But it's not just serve in the abstract. What is it? It's serve, what does it say? One another. And in light of the audience, he's writing to the church, churches scattered throughout. You're called to, I have a gift. Everyone's got a gift. And I'm called to use it to serve, serve one another, meaning the gathered body of the church. So the reason why y'all have gifts, we have gifts, is so that you can bless the church with them. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a marginalized people. These people do not have cultural advantage for being a Christian. There's zero cultural advantage. There's just mainly you're weird and maybe I'm just going to ignore you, but at worst I'm really going to persecute you, maybe kill you. No cultural advantage whatsoever. And so what Peter is saying here is you got to understand that if you're going to do this and make it and really fulfill the mission that God has given the church to make disciples of all nations, the church has got to be strong. The church has got to be together. And the number one way that's going to happen is if you know how you're wired and you're going to use it to serve the strength and the beauty of the church that's on mission. You with me? It also says something else. It continues to define what this looks like. It says this. Look at it. It says, as good. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. All right, got it. And, and how? As good stewards of God's grace. Now, steward is not a word that we use very often in our culture. I can't remember ever in my life when I've talked about being a steward of something. But the Bible uses it, so we need to know what it means. What it means is a steward is someone who's been given charge of something. Someone who's responsible to take care of something. This reminded me of when I was in high school. And my, I had a friend, and she entrusted me with her baby pet iguana for the week. Okay? Far-fetched, I know. Just go with it. So I'm entrusted with this 
I was going to say cute, but maybe some of you don't think cute. Cute little lizard. And iguanas are good pets. They're real chill. And so she's entrusting this iguana with me. I'm in high school, and I'm supposed to care for it and be a steward of this little animal while she's gone on vacation. And so things were going well. I would get it out. I would play with it. I put it on my arm. Inside, it's like super chill. And, you know, for that reason, iguanas are oftentimes great pets. But then I took it outside. And I failed to, like, dawn on me that when you take a cold-blooded animal and you take it outside in the sun on a hot Iowa day, they're going to get a little more excited. And I didn't have a leash on this iguana. And so iguana's sitting here, and we're in the sun, hot, sun beating down, and it gets excited. And it starts tearing down my arm, down my back, and it's just darting through the yard. Now, these things are fast, right? And I'm freaking out. It's kind of like... Uh, if you guys have seen the movie Rocky, where Mick makes him chase the chicken, like, you know what I mean, like, the, for the conditioning drill, like, that's what I was doing, running around the yard, chasing this little iguana that's, you know, flapping all over, arms and legs everywhere, and I can't get it, all right? I'm not being a good steward of my friend's pet. And it darts through the fence, and it goes into my neighbor's garage, and now I'm like, oh, no, I'm never going to find this thing. Well, thankfully, it went in the garage. I hopped the fence, like, in one single bound, super adrenaline, you know what I mean? And I open the door, and there it is, just, like, sitting there staring at me. And I get a box and I cover it. It was all fine. But for a moment, I'm like, this is a problem. I'm not being a good steward, and I'm being very irresponsible. And my friend's going to return, and she's going to say, I gave you this precious creature so that you could cause it to flourish under your care, not so you could lose it. I didn't want to hear those words. And many of us use the gifts that God has given us kind of like that. And we're not stewarding them well. And that's what Peter's calling us to today. It's like good stewards, good caretakers, managing it well. Maybe we ignore them or we use them in the wrong way or we're passive about them. And we fail to see that our gifts are God-ordained gifts. Not just because God was looking for something to do when he gave these gifts out, right? You with me? He wasn't just bored and was just like, oh, I got some gifts I need to give out. All right, whatever. No, but God has given us gifts, each one of us. Why? So the church can flourish under our care, in a sense. The church is obviously under Jesus' care, but he's entrusted it to us as well. That's why he calls us to do these things this morning, to serve one another with our gifts. He calls us to be good stewards of these Gifts so that the church can flourish. And if we neglect this, it may stunt the growth of this church that Jesus died for. It's all about using our gifts, the one another, so that the church can flourish. So Peter's just saying to to them then and to us now, all hands on deck. Everyone's got to be engaged. Know your gift. Go for it. Let's do this together. No one on the margins, right? No one on the margins. The church is structured to thrive when all of us together use our gifts for the sake of blessing others and the church as a whole. Now, some of you this morning are new here today, and maybe this might not totally apply because you're still kind of checking out the vine. Maybe you're visiting with us today, and this is going to apply to your church home somewhere else. But if you've been with us a while, especially if you're a member, man, it's all hands on deck. Let's dive in and do this together. This is God's will for us based on God's word. And he just, let's just keep flushing this out. Verse 11. 
he keeps going on this theme. So he just kind of illustrates what this is supposed to look like. Whoever speaks, how are you going to do it? Well, speak as one who speaks the very oracles of God, meaning taking it seriously, going for it. Like if I'm speaking the very oracles of God, that implies something for how I'm going to speak, right? Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So like, man, if God's supplying the strength, I'm going to go for it. In order that in everything, so here's the whole big reason, that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's all about God. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. It's not to us that belongs glory and dominion, but to him. Our gifts aren't all about us. No big prideful sense of how great you are. But no, man, if you use me, Lord, I'm just grateful to you. Thank you. And so all this, the the translation here is go for it. That's the short, quick translation. Go for it. Get after it. God's glory is at stake here. We make God look really good to an onlooking world that maybe would rather marginalize us when they see the beauty of Christ's love working through his people by the power of his spirit so that disciples are made and churches that cherish these things are multiplied over and over again throughout the world. So go for it. Use your gifts with vigor and passion, with the strength that God is supplying you. He's already given it. Step into it. Reject passivity and go for it. That's what these verses mean. That's what Peter's calling the church to. That's what God is calling the church to. So here's what I want us to do today. Some of you know your gifts really well and are using them. And man, we've got tons of evidence of that at the Vine, and we are so thankful for that. We've got volunteers every week helping with kids, and they're not just there to babysit. They're there to help raise up the next generation and disciple them, right? That's a cool, that's a really neat, that's a great calling. Many people are using their gifts in that way. A lot of people are using gifts of hospitality. You love to just be gracious with the home that God has given you to love and bless people. A lot of you um, love to, to just serve, in behind-the-scenes kind of ways, like tech stuff or cleaning the church or doing coffee or organizing things or leading your city group as you seek to serve people in the city of Madison. Or some of you are leading, just you have gifts of leadership, so you're leading city groups or you're a deacon or you're an elder. Many people love to just pray, and so you're leading the prayer time in your city group. I mean, I could talk forever about how many great people we have at the church that are just doing so many great things. And we couldn't do this without it. So we're already doing a great job in some ways of doing what's here in our text. But there are some people that I think probably are still being a little passive with their gifts. Or you maybe just don't know what your gifts are. You're not really sure. So it's hard to know where to serve. So if you're in the passive category this morning and you know there's more in there, um, let's just flesh out the why. Like, why am I passive? Is there something about diving in here that I'm not sure about? Well, man, we just need to talk then. Talk to your city group leader. You talk to me. Talk to one of the other elders. And, man, let's take God's word seriously and let's go for it. 
But if you don't really know what your gifts are, let me maybe help you with that this morning. And this might apply maybe to those that are a little younger, um, but it could apply to anybody. Just ask yourself a few questions. This is, I find this really helpful for myself in clarifying. When do you feel most alive? When, when do you feel most easily motivated and like awake, like dialed in? When, when, what would you do if, if time and money were no consideration? What would you just gravitate toward naturally? naturally? What, what would you easily do for free? What do you gravitate towards naturally? What comes easy to you? I want to ask that. What comes to mind? What comes to mind? There's probably a way for every single person in this room to answer that. What comes to mind? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, with whatever came to mind, if you're not really dialed in yet with serving and seeking to bless the church, through your gifts, I want you to get with your city group leader and talk to them about this. Like, what, where could you use your gifts to bless the city group? Maybe it's hosting and hospitality. Maybe it's the, your city group serve and helping organize that. Maybe it's facilitating prayer night or bringing food or organizing stuff or any number of things. Just sit down with your city group leader and say, man, I feel like the Lord has wired me up this way. How could that get fleshed out at the vine? And if you're not in a city group yet, man, let's, let's get you in one. You can sign up online, top of the first page of the website. But this isn't going to happen unless we actually talk about it and, and unless we try to maybe do it in community together, okay? And, and here's the other thing. With that thing that you thought of, another great step is just simply this. Go to someone that you love and trust and someone that really knows you and just ask them, I feel this internally. Do you sense this about me externally? Meaning, do you affirm these things that I'm feeling? And if it's yes and yes, that's a really good indicator that you're on the right track. And then taking 1 Peter 4, 8, 9, and 10, just go for it. Go for it. The time is short, so love well in the church and serve well in the church. Let's review again this last verse, and then we'll be done. Why? Why is, what's at stake in all of this this morning, what's the whole point of this short discussion on, on knowing that the time is short and so we got to love well and serve well in the church? Well, it's this. In order that everything, read it there, verse 11. In order that everything, that in everything, what? We may be glorified? No, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the point here. Him being glorified is the point here. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. This whole thing is about God. It's not about us. That God would get glory, that an onlooking world would look in and go, man, look at this community that's strong and serving each other and loving each other so well. There must be something to this God that they worship. And to the degree that we can get over ourselves, our churches get really beautiful. To the degree that we can get over ourselves and remember that our greatest joy in life is found not in seeking to quench our thirst in, 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 in a cons, um, consuming focus on self, but in an all-consuming focus on God. That's where the thirst gets quenched. Because Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come to me, all you are thirsty, 
And when you do, rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. See, when we get that, that, that it's all about Jesus, like it says here, it's not all about us. And we preach that to ourselves every day when our feet hit the floor, we roll out, roll out of bed. And today's not about me. Today's about God. Today's not about me. Today's about God. So what's that mean? Well, that means I'm going to love him. I'm going to love others. And when I fail, I'm going to run to the cross that, 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 that preaches my forgiveness and the love of God and say, thank you, God. Your mercy is unbelievable. And so I'm going to start, up and do, start, start and do it all over again. You were created to be a part of a people of God's possession. You were created to serve and love in that family. And when that happens really well, God is glorified and you get satisfied and the mission of God continues on. And let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We are needy and apart from you, we can do nothing. So we confess yet again that um, these are just words apart from your spirit. And so come and help us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.